Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Captain of the Keeper old-time vintage hockey radio program podcast. The show where we discuss all things hockey with a discernible bias towards old-time stick and puck. I'm your host, the Captain, and with me, as always, is one of the sharpest dress goaltenders in terms of equipment in the history of the beer leagues, the Keeper! Wow, you really caught me off guard there with a nice compliment. Just to start our news headlines today, we have a show for you, everybody. We're going to be talking about Tuka Rask, the Boston Bruins' number one goaltender, leaving the bubble. What the controversy behind that was, and if that's good or bad for the Bruins. Then we'll be touching on Montreal Canadiens head coach Claude Julien and his health issues, giving way to the assistant coach Kirk Muller to take over behind the bench, and some things that he might have done to upset Philadelphia coach Elaine Vigneault. And, of course, Rod Brindamore, the Hurricanes coach, getting on the bad side of the National Hockey League. He's at the tune of $20,000. We'll be talking about that on today's program as well. And also, Calgary forward Toby Reeder and his prowess for scoring shorthanded marks. Then we'll be talking about, and this is a segment that I'm pretty excited about, overtime playoff heroes throughout NHL history, mostly the 1990s, because that's where our vintage biases lie. And then we'll be getting into a nice segment called The Captain's Captains, where the captain will be telling us about the greatest captain so far of the 2020 playoffs and the guys who he thinks have been exemplary of the status of captain. And then finally, we'll finish off with Hugging the Post as usual, also discussing some playoff heroics from the men between the pipes. uh, Captain, what do you think about Tuka Rask leaving the bubble? Well, for those of you who haven't heard, Boston Bruins starting goaltender Tuka Rask has opted out of the remainder of the National Hockey League playoffs. Obviously, this has serious implications. This is a Vesna candidate goaltender who uh, is on a team that is favored as one of the top clubs to have a shot at the Stanley Cup. They're in a position of advantage at this time in the postseason, their series against the Carolina Hurricanes, and their number one man has decided to opt out of the remainder of the postseason tournament. Uh, Keeper, you're the goaltending expert on this one. Why don't you tell us about some of the goaltending implications you see with this particular situation? Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not sure how I take this one. I um, kind of questioning Rask's decision here. You know, I think this could have been something that could have been made as a decision before the uh, round robin when a lot of the other players in the league were deciding to opt out. I know that he has a young family. But uh, he does leave the Bruins in a, a pretty tough spot. You know, their number one goaltender took him to the Stanley Cup Finals Game 7 last year, just up and leaving. You know, I wonder what effect that would have on their team. I, uh, I don't know how good a move this is for the Bruins, and I question Rask's motives behind it. Uh, I don't know. Keep uh, Captain, what, what, what do you think about this? Do you think this is, you know, what should we do with it? How should we proceed with this story? Well, I'm telling you right now, uh, I, I can certainly empathize with this guy. I mean, this this is a guy who's got, he just has a newborn child at home. He's got two other small kids. I mean, you, you got to be, you seem a little heartless here, Keeper. I'm not sure what's going on. But, uh, I mean, the guy's obviously, you know, he's a, he's, he's a high-level player. He's a goaltender. I feel like you should feel for this guy of all people. Uh, but obviously Rask isn't going to be good to go. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the hockey implications? They don't exactly have a nobody behind him. They've got Yaroslav Halak, a guy who carried the Montreal Canadiens uh, on his back about a decade ago. But still, I mean, this guy's got a, a proven playoff history. What do you think the on-ice implications for this are going forward? Well, I just want to say, listen, uh, when my first son was born, I did not miss a single midnight league hockey game. So I don't know what Rask is thinking here. Uh, And he's making millions of bucks. I still went out 1030 at night, put the gear on, went to work the next day like nothing ever happened. So I don't know. I didn't leave my team high and dry. But anyway, he did have some quotes before. uh, That's an interesting perspective right there. He did. He did have some quotes before uh, he opted out. Um, After the Carolina victory over Boston on Thursday to tie the series up at one, he did say, and this is a quote, well, to be honest with you, it definitely doesn't feel like playoff hockey out there. He said also that there's no fans, so it's kind of like playing an exhibition game. 
He says, obviously, you know, there are some scrums after the whistle. I haven't noticed anything like that. They would be targeting me or whatnot. Things happen. People fall on you and whatnot. But it's definitely not a playoff atmosphere out there. So I think the, the move to opt out is a little suspect after he makes comments like that um, just before opting out. So, I mean, listen, when I went to that men's league game, there was no fans in the stands either. I had to muster up that intensity. I brought my level of play. I wrote, I think I might have lost the game. I think I might have lost most of the games that season. But uh, I still brought my level of play up, even though there were no fans in the stands. But it just the timing is suspect with that quote. But like you said, they have Yaroslav Halak. He is more than capable. Listen, he, um, like you said, Montreal in 2010, 10 years ago, he was solid. Um, I mean, Carey Price was sitting on the bench behind him. Uh, also in 2015, he had a pretty good first round against Washington with the Islanders. He went to seven games and really he didn't, he looked great against Carolina, uh, yesterday with the exception of that one gaffe, which was a, a, a keeper special, you know, coughing that one right up the middle to Nino, Nino Ryder, who just had a nice, easy tap in. Uh, that's one of those plays where you just want to crawl into the ice, but it didn't hurt him. Uh, he bounced right back. Um, I think as uh, Bruins coach, Bruce Cassidy said, maybe this is Yarrow's year. And maybe, uh, maybe the, the team rallies around Halak. You know, like th- this is something that could galvanize a club. And he is no, like you said, he is not shabby between the pipes. He is a top-notch, but you know, number one type goaltender. And he has been in the past. So I don't think the Bruins are going to be hurt by this. And whatever the players say publicly, um, as far as Tuka Rask wanting to be home, family first, they they have to feel a sense of, hey, he, he left us right now. And for Halak, it's next man up mentality. And he is going to, hopefully for him, for his sake, not for my sake of picks, hopefully he does well. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't worry about your picks because they're mostly a lost cause at this point. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that goal that Halak coughed up the other night, despite playing really well in that game, that was a vintage keeper-esque performance. That's something I've seen, you know, uh, obviously for, uh, for the sake of anonymity we will obscure their names but some of our classic defenders like old flats and uh, h-bomb back there i've watched you try to send passes to these guys and bounce it i mean just like a lock put it right into the guy's hand he drops it down puts it in easy tally that must have been difficult for you to watch from a personal level but you know good to see Halak bounce back and i have to look at that and say that boston is not in bad hands they've got an experienced guy yeah, behind you know, in goal for them, and I'm I'm excited about that. But now let's go across to the other side of that series. You touched on Claude Julien, uh, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, there, there's a bit of a situation going on there. We're not going to touch on his health situation. Obviously, we both wish him well. Uh, we don't want to see anything bad happen to a hockey legend like that. But tell us a little bit about the uh, the controversy that sprung from that situation. Well, this is interesting because Kirk Muller took over as the assistant, as he, he's the assistant coach for Montreal, and he's been there for a, a number of years. Of course, won a Stanley Cup as a player for the Canadians in 1993. Um, so Muller takes over, and Montreal has a amazing game. They they win five nothing, uh, but they get a power play late in the late in the third with about two or so minutes left, and Kirk Muller puts out his number one power play unit, and that did not sit well with Elaine Vigneault. Um, when it was five, nothing, the game was well out of reach. And Elaine Vigneault had a quote after the game about that tactic by Muller. And he was not too pleased. So here's the quote from Vigneault. He says, I saw toward the end of the game there where Kirk Muller, they've got a five, nothing lead. And he puts his number one power play on the ice. We had embarrassed ourselves enough. I don't think we needed to get embarrassed more. I'm going to make sure our team is very aware of that next game. So while maybe this is a little gamesmanship from Vigneault, um, Maybe this is a nice, uh, I guess, uh, strategy to get into the, the other team's mind. You know, Vigneault is somebody who knows how to take a deep playoff run. I mean, he came within a game of winning the Stanley Cup in 2011 with the Vancouver Canucks, took the Rangers to the finals in 2014. So he knows how to play the game, the mind game, the head coaching game, getting into the opponent's head in a playoff series. Do you think that's this? Do you think that's this situation, Cap? I love this situation. This is old time hockey personified. Uh, These are things that maybe the new generation of players coming up doesn't really think about or know about. But I mean, back in the day, situations like this came up in in the professional leagues. 
this stuff is taken very personal. You don't go out there and stack a line when you're up five, nothing back in the day uh, and not expect some reprisal. And I, that's the part I really like about this is kind of Vino just kind of feignings, you know, just, just kind of putting some information out there that says we're coming for you. Uh, you better have your guard up next game because this is about to be some old time hockey. He's coaching, obviously, you know, the broad street bullies, uh, at this point, you're talking about the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, this has got the makings of a fantastic series going the rest of the way. I love it. But you know what it reminds me of? And we've dealt with this in the past in the beer leagues. Um, one thing I've noticed is I've played against a lot of teams where they've always got a ringer. You know, they've always got a guy out there who played in some Quebec junior league that, you know, could undress every guy on the ice without even breaking a sweat. And one thing I find is every time you play against these teams, they always stack the lines just like this situation you're oh, yeah. talking about. They always do the same thing. They make the guy seem all casual. They put him on the they put him on defense and they think you're not going to notice that he plays 58 of the 60 minutes of the game. And even when he's not out there scoring at will, he stops everybody else out there from scoring. So I feel like on that level, I can really relate to the uh, situation and the frustration that uh, Vino's feeling there, dealing with a stacked line. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's just about the same thing. Definitely the equivalent. I mean, pretty much. I, I like I like you said. I've been on the other end of that where a guy scores maybe five goals on you in a playoff game. That guy, the, he's got mismatched equipment. He's got he has the wrong jersey. He's definitely a ringer, and you know he's embarrassing you even more than you need to be embarrassed because, like you said in the previous segment, I have made plenty of gaffes throwing a puck up the middle when you think you have the you think you have the energy to get that over everybody's head, but you clearly do not. But yeah, uh, it's it's tough to get embarrassed by a team, and you definitely don't want them to do that again. And this is his message to to his players that we're not going to be pushed around. I love it. It's a game within the game, and it adds a level of intrigue to the series that's awesome. So, Captain, what do you think Loving about uh, Rob Brindamore and the story with the NHL, the referees, and a check with a little interesting number at the end? Yeah, we'll call it a little interest, if you will. So Rod Brindamore fined $25,000 for his comments about the officiating in the Carolina-Boston game. Um, so Brindamore and uh, Tom Dunn, Carolina Hurricanes owner, actually is the one who cut the check to the league. Uh, so they they didn't just give him the 25000 They went ahead and added a little extra $17 on the end, referencing, of course, Rod Brindamore's number when he played on the team. Um this is one of those things. This is this is where I find maybe it's kind of fun to enjoy some of the new school hockey. Uh, I do. I love me some old time hockey, but this is where some of the new school comes in. These guys have this bunch of jerks mentality. Obviously, Rod Brindamore himself, you know, uh, is a fantastic, legendary hockey player. But this whole identity, the Carolina Hurricanes have built this bunch of jerks, this whole thing. I mean, I'm loving every part of this. This is fun. The fans are involved. Everybody, everybody that seems to, uh, you know, you get a couple of the Don Cherry types, obviously, who started this whole thing. Yeah. Not fans of the whole movement, but I love it. Do you send the league a check for seventeen extra dollars as a little, uh, a little, hey, here you go, how's she going type of thing? I like it. I, I love this whole move by them. I think personally, this is my own take. Uh, I think that uh, Brenda Moore, obviously he's learning the ropes. He's learning the guidelines as far as he went from being a leader and a guy who could say what he wanted. And he was behind the veil of the organization he played for in the past. Now he's a leader still, but now as a coach, he has different responsibilities. He has different checks and balances and he has to understand he's the primary contact point for the media. I think he's learned that lesson from this, but at the same time, it's difficult because I, I don't disagree with his comments. I think that the officiating, and we brought this up in past episodes of this season, the officiating's been a little suspect at points. I think if you're getting down to the minutiae of did the guy touch the puck with the high stick or did it come out of the goalie's glove and you challenge this, but it's that. I mean, at this point, we're reviewing offsides on goals that happen 
20 seconds before the play and Toronto will call down and review that. But this guy calls for a review and because he didn't challenge the right thing and there's some discrepancy about that, you're going to tell him you're going to make the wrong call. But because the challenge was for a different reason, I, I agree with what Brindamore said, but I think he learned his lesson that he can't, he no longer has the platform or the ability to say those things without immediate repercussion. But uh, absolutely loved it. And if the if the NHL referees are smart, they might not want to mess with Rod Brindamore. I I don't know if you ca- caught that little clip oh, of him playing I football with the boys. The man is still jacked. Okay, and I've heard rumors about him working out with the team. This is not a man you want to come across in a dark alley. The NHL referees better keep their heads up out there. And he just turned fifty. I mean, that's fifty. Uh, he's got there's no dad bod for Rod Brindamore. It's just <laughs> Rod the bod. Still Rod DeBod. I mean, that, there's a poster of him and Eric Lindros when they were with the Flyers. Uh, they're both kind of standing there um, in a gym, and both of them are jacked. And he still looks exactly the same. I think that poster might have been from 92 or 93, maybe 93 or, or 94, in that time period of our vintage heyday. But, yeah, uh, the Hurricanes are a fun team, aren't they? You know, their coach has got is a character, and um, the social media is fun. I love the comment brunch of jerks when they had their uh, 11 a.m. game. The Hurricanes are having some fun in the bubble. And for my sake, I hope that they continue their fun in the bubble, even if it's at the sake of Yaroslav Halak, who I am rooting for also. So it's a weird situation for me right here. Um, I know you like this story about shorthanded goals and a man named Toby Reader. Take it away, Captain. Love it. Absolutely love this. So for those of you who haven't been uh, paying attention, uh, Toby Reader is a uh, much maligned uh, figure, depending on what part of Canada you might live in. So this guy played for the Edmonton Oilers in 2018-2019. And as far as goals are concerned, this is a guy I can relate to. Because I can honestly say, if you put me and Reader on that team, and you give us equal ice time, we both generate the same amount of production in the 2018-2019 season. Because Toby Reader finished the season with zero goals. And a lot of people laughed. They scoffed. I'm I'm sure you were one of them, just kind of, you know, knowing you as a a big-time scoffer. Uh, I'm I'm thinking you look at Reader here. Yeah. And I'm thinking you say Reader scores zero goals in 1819. The guy's career is over. He's done. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, 2020 has been a strange year for a lot of people around the world, but none stranger than this. Reader's got three shorthanded goals in these playoffs already with the Calgary Flames, obviously a rival of the uh, Edmonton Oilers, who he scored zero for. So, I love these stories. You get a guy who struggled. He fought through the adversity. Uh, he didn't disappear like some players we've seen in the past. You, you Sometimes you find players that pop up, they score, they they have some early success or whatever, and then you never hear from them again. You find out they played the rest of their career in Europe. They disappeared. Well, this guy didn't quit. He managed to stick uh, with a rival team you know, over in Calgary, and he's got three shorthanded goals in the 2020 playoffs. I love watching a story like that. You can't not enjoy watching a guy who goes an entire season without scoring a goal just about one year or so removed is setting records for shorthanded goal production uh, for the Calgary front for the flames. Love it. He's been a major uh, factor so far for them in the playoffs. He makes them scary when they're on the penalty kill uh, against Dallas right now. So far that's really helped to even this series and I'm enjoying it a lot going forward. But uh, so now we're going to transition a little bit here. We're going to go on to our uh, overtime heroes of playoffs past. So this season, we witnessed, as we discussed in our last episode, we witnessed a five overtime game start this whole thing off for us. Uh, The game, of course, was ended by Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Scores the game winner in game five. They're calling it an epic Uh, I can't disagree with that. One of the longest games in NHL history. Point scores the goal, and it had us thinking about some of our past favorites, some of the overtime heroics that we've seen in the NHL playoffs that have really stood out to us over the years. Keeper, what's one of your favorites right now that that comes to mind in your head? 
Uh, this is a, I love this topic because, you know, weather turns nice, springtime, we're getting into April and May and June. We get some playoff heroics in overtime. One of my favorites of all time was based on the celebration. Ah, the goal is not, for me, at least that memorable. It was Theory and Flurry of the Calgary Flames in 1991 in the Smythe Division semifinals against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, back when they had the Smythe Division. If any of our listeners out there are old enough to remember, that was how these divisions were named. They were not based on geography, but on names of greats in the past. So that's cool in it to itself. But Theo, Theo Fleury scores in game six in overtime and proceeds to skate across the ice, across center ice, sliding on his knees, and then going down to his stomach, spinning around, going into the boards, and being mobbed by the rest of the Calgary Flames. That image of that celebration is uh, one of the earliest hockey memories that I have because there used to be a thing called uh, VHS videotapes, which people I'm sure know about, right? Which um, used to have greatest goals and that they would advertise these during games and for on, on, as a commercial. And this one was always the clip that they showed for celebrations of greatest overtime goals. And they'd show Theory and Fleury sliding across the ice. So to me, that one is one of the more memorable ones. Uh, Calgary ended up losing the series in seven games to the Oilers in 1991. And that kind of um, put a damper, I guess, on his overtime celebration, which becomes somewhat, I guess, controversial. But uh, to me, that's the first one that jumped to my mind. It's the first one on my list, the O'Fleury. And we'll be sure to get Marty Perko, our social media man, to get that posted up on our uh, social media avenue. So those of you who haven't seen it, go ahead and check out Theron Fleury's goal uh, that the keeper's talking about. So uh, I'm going to take some low-hanging fruit on my first pick here. Uh, this one, I mean, anybody who has watched a clip of Stanley Cup playoff lore, uh, the Stefan Matteau goal, New York Rangers, beat the New Jersey Devils in Game 7. Obviously, we hail from the tri-state area. It doesn't matter what part of the area you're from. There was no way a hockey fan who was alive at that time did not hear that call, specifically the Howie Rose call of that game. Yes. And the Matto, Matto, Stefan Matto, as he comes around the net, swoops in Swoop. to intercept swings around the back of the net, tucks the wrap around in and wins it for the Rangers to send them on to the finals in Vancouver. Uh, absolutely epic finish to an amazing hard fought series between the Stanley cup champions that would be of that year versus what would be next year's Stanley cup champions uh, and the New Jersey devils, amazing broadcasting calls all around on that one. Just a, a fantastic moment. Uh, one of the most exciting times ever to have uh, been alive in the tri-state area. I mean, that, that place for a hockey fan was electric when that happened and pivoted the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, just a, a great uh, all-time goal. But but I like how you've got some of the more obscure ones here. So what do you got next for us? I'll go one year before Matteau, and I'll also go with a local, at least tri-state area team, the New York Islanders, who are <laughs> making some pretty uh, – uh, convincing uh, moves to right now to get past Washington. And they're making a real name for themselves as a, as a team to be um, uh, contended with. But David Volick, 1993, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the New York Islanders go on an improbable run uh, where they face the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the Penguins had been Stanley Cup champions the two years prior. This was going to be a three-peat for them. They had a, the longest uh, win streak of it, during the regular season. They were a Goliath of a team. And the David of the Islanders, David Volick, scores the overtime winner in Game 7 to break the back of the Penguins and to break the Penguins' potential dynasty. Um, Volick was like an afterthought on that team, but I know Al Arbor kept with him and keep kept playing uh, David Volick, and he becomes the overtime winner. To me, that epitomizes what playoff hockey and overtimes are about. They're about guys who are not the superstars getting an opportunity to make a name for themselves. And that is the greatest example of that I know Theo Fleury is a superstar. Uh, Matt Toe, not so much. So I kind of might fall into the David Volick uh, vein in that regard. But Volick getting one past Tom Barrasso and shocking the Penguins. The Islanders go on. I'm sorry, that was in round two. And then the Islanders go on to the Eastern Conference Final to play against Montreal. So that propelled them into the Eastern Conference Finals. So I just want to make sure I clarify that. But to me, that was a memorable one watching as a young kid. Uh, seeing the Islanders get that far uh, was 
pretty interesting to see a New York team go that far, which I had never seen live at that point. So for me, David Volokh's overtime winner was memorable and extremely special in 1993. Yeah, got it. That, that was a fun one. I love those obscure ones, but as much as the obscure ones are fun, you got to go with the classics. I've already prearranged with Marty Perko to get this one posted up. Not a difficult one to find. And for the closing thought on the most memorable goals, uh, overtime wise, you got to go with a captain. You always have to go with a captain by default. And Steve Iserman was just that captain. 1996 Detroit Red Wings take on the St. Louis Blues. Stevie Y steps in across the blue line, loosely checked by Wayne Gretzky. You don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, Stevie Y lets a bomb of a slap shot go top corner. One of the nicest goals, one of the most exciting goals for me that I've ever witnessed in uh, NHL playoff history. And again, clutch performance by the captain of that team. Uh, one of the greatest overtime goals of all time by far. Uh, that was definitely a memorable one. I love that camera angle from behind the net where you could almost watch that puck coming right at you into the top corner past John Casey, Blues goaltender's uh, blocker side. Uh, Casey never really had a shot at that one. It just kind of blew right past him. And he was in net. That was Grant Fuhrer's team that entire year. So Fuhrer was not in net. He was injured for that for that series. So they relied on John Casey. And that was the end of Gretzky's short-lived tenure with St. Louis Blues and Steve Eisman had a pretty good celebration after that one, too, where he kind of danced around the net. So that'd, that'd be another one we have to get, keep a look at. Marty the Guru Perko will be on top of those clips for us for sure. Yeah, we'll have to do a celebrations only uh, special going forward in the future. But Keeper, let me ask you this. Stevie Wise coming down on you from that, about that distance. Let's say Stevie Wise taking that shot on you from the other blue line. Any chance you're getting in front of it? I mean, there's a substantially better chance that I get in front of it. I'm still not liking my odds. Uh, especially high blocker, it's kind of the weak spot. And I would, I think most goalies can attest to that. The blocker side, especially if you hold the stick with your right hand, low blocker every single time. Every single, and I know Cam Atkinson victimized uh, Frederick Anderson in the round or the playing round, uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, that low blocker side. That's a tough one for goalies. But Eisenman said, you know what? I'm not going low blocker. I'm going to blast this right past upper. He went, as they, we used to say, top shelf. Is that what, I mean, I don't think kids say that anymore. Where that was a- grandma keeps the peanut butter, I believe, yeah. is the call. But And I think that shows what happens when a captain faces a keeper. I think that's ultimately the proof right there is in the top shelf of that net. And I think anybody who argues can watch the video that I'm in the process of having Marty Perko put up there for us. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's It's self-explanatory. You watch it, you see what happens. Pretty easy stuff. Now, I, I noticed you talked about the blocker side being a weakness. I've also noticed for you the high blocker, the low blocker, the five hole, the low glove, and the high glove are also areas of weakness. Uh, does anyone stand out for you just kind of when you're spitballing it, or do you want to get on to the next topic? All right. I think it's time to move on. Uh, this next segment highlights some of the captain's picks for the best captains of the 2020 playoffs. The captain who thinks that these captains have led their team in an exemplary fashion. So captain. Who are your captains of the 2020 playoffs that have impressed you? Well, I'm glad you asked, Keeper. Uh, My first choice here is an honorable mention by virtue of the fact that he is no longer a captain. If I had to put this post up yesterday, if we filmed this yesterday, I don't know that I would have been picking this particular individual. But after what I saw today and witnessing Joe Pavelski, the former captain of the San Jose Sharks, absolutely put the Dallas Stars on his back and will them to victory. It got me to thinking, and this first one here will be a little bit of an aside. We might get a little sidetracked here, and that's okay. But Joe Pavelski shows up in the playoffs. Now, this guy signed a big contract to come over to Dallas after a long career with San Jose. And in San Jose, let's be honest, they were a team that always had Stanley Cup expectations, never quite got it done. Pavelski was a heart and soul guy for that team. He served as their captain, signs the big deal, comes over to Dallas, doesn't really have the regular season that he wanted. But after you watch a performance like he put up earlier tonight, scoring the hat trick, uh, getting it done for that team, uh, game-winning goal, I mean, just an amazing effort. It got me thinking about some of the guys that we've seen in the past. Uh, You know, some players like maybe a Claude Lemieux, maybe a Chris Drury, 
there's some guys that always have a way, obviously, uh, Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams, some guys that have a way of stepping up in the big time. So maybe during the season you look at their numbers and you say, wow, you're paying this guy that amount of money for this production. But all of a sudden the playoffs start and it's a whole new animal. And there are these guys that find a way to rise above. Any of those type of guys stick out to you, Keeper? Uh, a name from the past does John Drews to the Washington Capitals. I don't know if anybody remembers him with the 1990 Stanley cup playoffs. And, uh, he just had himself around against the New York Rangers, um, where he kind of dominated a series and becomes a, a, an unexpected playoff hero. So guys uh, like that. I love when players like, and Justin Williams, like you previously mentioned, I love when guys who are kind of obscure, you know, take a, you know, they, they, they love the, responsibility of playoff hockey, the pressure of it, and they, they, they rise to the occasion. And that's what playoff hockey is all about. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to watch those old NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoff films, the ones that are narrated by Mike Emmerich from the 1990s. And you, you, you know, if you have a chance, they're all on YouTube. You can go back and see some of the heroes from uh, hockey's greatest era, at least as far as we consider the 1990s. But yeah, I love when guys rise to the occasion like that. And Pavelski certainly did that today. He sure did. So, uh, so that was my uh, honorable mention by virtue of not being a captain. Actually, my next one is my statistical honorable mention. Un is she Weber. Uh, who's that? She Weber. Are you trying to say Shea Weber? Well, I'm saying she Weber because I had a friend um, back when she Weber uh, had his sort of rise over in Nashville, uh, a German immigrant friend, uh, and he pronounced the name every time. For some reason, it would always come at the end of a sentence, and he would say, Und she Weber. So I can't think of this man's name without hearing this amazing pronunciation of Und she Weber, and I'm loving it. But we get down to statistics Whatever works. this guy. So obviously, you talked about Carey Price. All right, you talked about what he's done. I talked about him when I picked him in the first round correctly. Uh, you picked him here in the second round, and that's cool. Uh, but Shea Weber, she Weber, she Weber, will, right, right. Und she Weber has had a fantastic uh, – he's had a big impact on this team. Uh, the man has produced points for them. He's got the big shot. He's had three goals, two assists. He's a plus seven in these playoffs. His team in Montreal, obviously in an unprecedented position here, they're playing from the worst possible seed they can be playing from. They had to slay the Pittsburgh Penguins in the play-in round. They're playing a powerful team in the Philadelphia Flyers. They're hanging in there against these guys. Uh, Shea Weber, Shea Weber, serving Shea as Weber. The, it's fun. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna find yourself doing that. Unde Schieber has led his team uh, in a lot of meaningful ways, but just not quite enough to crack him into my top two. So I've got one candidate from each conference that All I'm right. feeling right now. So uh, my number one out of the Eastern Conference is uh, Anders Lee playing for the New York Islanders. So obvious choice. One, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty good choice. I feel extremely confident about this one. This guy signs a seven-year, $49 million contract. Obviously, we talked last time, we've talked recently about what's happened with, you know, what happened to the Islanders with John Tavares. They lose him. They lost their captain, obviously. Guy's not welcome back there. We talked about that. There's yep. been some issues. The snake. <laughs> Snakes everywhere. Yeah, not a popular guy. So they didn't want to see that happen again. But I don't know that anybody really at the time of the signing thought that this player is – when they lost Tavares, they lost a possible big-time superstar player, a captain, a guy who carried them against Florida in the playoffs. Then Anders Lee is up. Yeah, he was the captain, but I don't know that anybody thought this was – was. I think there was – I'm just trying to say I think there was a lot of doubt whether or not this was the guy that is going to be a cornerstone of their franchise going forward. For me, those doubts, if you had them, were erased watching game one of the Islanders against the Washington Capitals. So um, – very telling. This guy drops the gloves with Tom Wilson. His team needed some momentum down in the game. 
drops the gloves, gets in a fight. He's been on the scoreboard. He scored a goal in every single game so far against the Washington Capitals and is willing these New York Islanders to an improbable situation against Washington. He's a can't miss for me. You agree with that one, Keeper? Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with Anders Lee. I mean, I think he's matured tremendously over the last five or six years when he first joined the Islanders around 2013-14 in that, in that time period. I don't know if anybody would have, like you said, imagined that he'd be leading them like he is right right now. Um, I'm sure Barry Trotz and the coaching staff has been a big help for that. He's got a big body. He gets himself in front of the net. And he took on Tom Wilson. I mean, that's not too shabby, right? I mean, he goes against a pretty tough guy. Uh, yeah, almost had a Gordie Howe hat trick the other night in that game. But uh, yeah, I like your pick of Anders Lee. He is he is taking the Islanders and putting them on his shoulder. And they have a great supporting cast as well, which, you know, Matt Barzell popping in an overtime winner today and, you know, uh, Page, and Pajot playing well and Bouvillier playing well. They, they're definitely running and that captain is steering that ship. Yeah, and especially when you see a situation like that where I think on paper the mismatch, you would look at the Caps and feel like this is a team, recent Stanley Cup champion, a lot of superstar talent. You look at the Islanders, it's not as immediate that they have that. They're a solid team. We talked in the past about how Barry Trotz has done such a good job coaching them. But without that catalyst, without that without that fight against Tom Wilson, especially when these guys are playing in games with empty crowds and you got to do what you got to do to get your team pumped up and back in the game and you throw down and fight with a guy like Wilson. Uh, he, he earned a lot of respect for me in that game. Uh, not to say he hadn't earned some before, but that was real. that kind of put it over the edge for me and what the Islanders have done behind him since then. Very impressive. So Great pick. that's my pick for the Eastern conference. We now got we're going to go take a look. We're going to take a look at the West here. So in the Western conference, um, I watched Mark Messi. I'm sorry, Bo Horvat. For the Vancouver Canucks, come down the wing with an off-foot left-handed shot, fire that puck in, going against the green. I mean, this was a carbon cop. This was Messier reincarnate, re- uh, reincarnated, I should say. Um, and then he goes on to score the overtime winner. This guy's got six goals and two assists for eight points through his first six games of the playoffs. He's leading the unlikely Vancouver Canucks um, out into that series. I have been very, very impressed with the 25-year-old and what he has brought to the table uh, for Vancouver a little bit. Now, uh, this is a guy who was traded in the past for uh, you know a goaltender. So for the yes. keeper, this puts this in your territory. Traded for Corey Schneider back in the day. What do you what do you think uh, about that trade right about now? I would think the uh, Vancouver Canucks are sending the New Jersey Devils some. Um... Uh, gifts and thank yous for that draft day, uh, that draft day trade in 2013, where I think everyone was thinking Luongo would be the guy traded, and then Corey Schneider gets dealt to the Devils in exchange for the draft pick that the Canucks used to pick Bo Horvat. So that's pretty cool, you know, how he becomes that pick, and it was because of a goaltender. It always comes down to the keepers, right? I mean, it, everything comes down to the goaltending of the game, and that's definitely it. Um, that was a, a move by Lou Lamarillo, who no longer with the Devils, but he's definitely leading the Islanders to some success right now. So a lot has changed in the last, uh, what is that, seven years? So that's definitely pretty cool. And uh, Bo Horvat, uh, I also have to say, um, from what I see on the social media, recently had a child as well. Um, so Tuka Rask, um, Bo Horvat is still staying in the bubble. You know, he's staying in that bubble and he's, he's dominating. That's a captain for you right there. And that's what we're talking about here on the Captain's Captains. We're discussing captains that play in a leadership capacity and bring some of that old-time hockey uh, to the modern age. And when you see a guy that can do what he did in that game and what he's done so far in the playoffs, very impressive stuff on a, uh, a surprising Vancouver team for sure. But so we're going to close out here with our last segment, and we're going to do some hugging the post with a keeper. Keeper, take it away. And uh, similar to the captain here, this is about goaltenders who have risen to the occasion in Stanley Cup playoff history. Again, we have a bias towards the 1990s, and that's where most of these picks come from. So I have a few names and a few key moments throughout 1990s NHL playoff history, some overtime. Some just clutch goaltending moments that have 
that are ingrained in my mind as a goaltender who watched these as a kid, but now remember them into adulthood and look at goaltenders today like Darcy Kemper with a 49-save performance the other night, uh, leading the Coyotes to victory and avoiding going down 0-3. So it's it's moments like this in the playoffs that goaltenders make a name for themselves and become money-clutch keepers. Uh, I'm not going to go in chronolog- chronological order here, but um, maybe the fans out there remember these moments, but in 1997, the... Edmonton Oilers were playing against the Dallas Stars in the playoffs. And in um, game seven of overtime, I remember Curtis Joseph was in net for Edmonton. And they had a pretty good year. And they had a, a pretty good run in the playoffs that year. And that was kind of the resurgence of the Oilers. Uh, if you remember Cur- Curtis Joseph diving from his left to his right while Joe Newendike had an empty net. And Joseph kind of lunges over and sort of clamps down on the puck as Newendike fires it towards the empty goal between his blocker, his catcher, and his stick and just plops it down on the ice and covers it. Um, that was, if you're a player on that bench, and the captain can speak to this, you, you have to be pumped up by a goaltender making a save like that where the, the game is on Newendike's stick. All he had to do was just slide it in. And Joseph had no quit. He competed. That was Curtis Joseph. was a, was a battler as a goaltender. He was so fun to watch. And that save is like is stuck in my mind as, as a goalie, not never giving up on a play. And that's important for goaltenders to like always, can always make sure you're competing for every puck. Uh, and Joseph did that in that series and, and that play. And I think Todd Marchand scores for the Oilers on the next shift, which just kind of shows you how much of a lift a great save can have for a hockey team. So like from the player's perspective, how are you feeling when you see a goalie do that for you on the bench or on the ice? Well, I think the good thing about it is it gives you that little shock factor. You're the player, especially if you're on the bench, right? If you're uh, you're getting ready to go, you're you're you have that helpless feeling. You're on the bench and you're watching this play develop. You see the guys wide open, and in your mind, you've already dealt with the fact that this is probably going in and this is it. So when you look over and see that the goalie has made this amazing save that he has no business really truthfully making. That's just an unbelievable, unexpected effort. All of a sudden you've got this second life because in your mind for those few seconds, you already, it's amazing how fast you process everything else that goes on. So you have in that split second where new and Nike is over there, you're on the bench watching this. You've already processed it's over. We're going home. Yeah. The playoffs are done. My season is over. I've got to go back. You're thinking it happens so fast. And then all of a sudden you're looking over and, oh, no, wait. Unbelievably, somehow this game is still going on. That's where that adrenaline comes from. And that's how you get a situation like that, especially in an NHL overtime game where these guys are all, they are exhausted. These guys are tired. They've been playing for, at this point, hours they're they're winded, they're tired, they're battered. We we did see plenty of this in that five overtime game where the the flow of play, the speed definitely slowed down around the second and third overtime, and rightfully so. Even though they're highly conditioned athletes, they're getting tired. But all of a sudden, you get that spark. You get that I'm not going home. I have another chance at this, and that's where you find. And Marshawn was a fast player to begin with, so you get that extra speed boost. You get that little bump. All of a sudden, you have what it takes to get it across the finish line, it definitely can make a difference and vice versa. And you, this is probably one the one that applies a little bit more to you. Oh. Uh, this is where giving up a bad goal can be equally <laughs> deflating because it has the exact inverse effect and that's scientific. So uh, you can go ahead now, and look that up. But uh, well, what else stands up, out for you? If you give Let's up a bad goal, that. If you give up a bad goal in game seven overtime, you have to think about that all summer long, and that's pretty deflating. So the next one, uh, if people remember this one, it's a two-pad stack save from Kirk McLean of the Vancouver Canucks, 1994, round one. We have the Flames and the Canucks, and this game is in Calgary. And um, Vancouver, of course, goes on that unlikely run to the Stanley Cup Finals where they face off against the New York Rangers and ultimately lose in seven games as the Rangers take the cup. Uh, but Kirk McLean in round one, game seven, makes a two-pad stack save on Robert Reichel. And Marty will get this clip up for us. This one is amazing. It is textbook two-pad stack. I know in the very first Hug in the Post segment, we talked about a two-pad stack. So Kirk McLean moves from his left to his right as the pass goes across, across the ice. Reichel has, again, an empty net. But McLean goes feet first. It's 
it, it's about as beautiful a, a save as you can imagine. That puck is almost on that line, and his legs just come out and boot that thing right out. Um, eventually, in double overtime, Cal, uh, Pavel Bure comes down on Mike Vernon and finishes off that series in favor of Vancouver, and the Canucks go on to round two. But they don't go on to round two unless Kirk McLean makes that save. Um, that's a beauty for me. I love seeing that one. And Kirk McLean, in, in game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, and you probably remember this, had 52 saves against the Rangers and stole game one. Otherwise, I think the Rangers are sweeping that series. But uh, McLean definitely had himself a playoff run and became a Vancouver legend after that particular spring of 1994. And rightfully so, a phenomenal goaltender. I love that uh, video of him recently putting on the pads again and uh, skating back out there in his gear. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, but, you know, you talk about that same season. It reminds me of, as a, as a player, one of my favorite goalie sequences that stands out from that same tournament was the one guy Kirk McLean couldn't get past in the Stanley Cup Finals that year was Mike Richter. And for me... The iconic penalty shot save, Pavel Bore versus Mike Richter, that one stands out to me as one of the great playoff clutch moments of all time. Because, you know, the, and any newer viewers to the game today, they may not know this because they watch a season that ends routinely in shootouts. They're used to seeing the, the skills competition aspect of the game. But back in 1994, when Pavel Bore was awarded a penalty shot, he may as well have been awarded a goal. I mean, this was yeah. pretty much automatic. This is one of the great snipers, speedsters in the history of the game. Uh, he's coming in. He's been awarded a penalty shot. Richter flying across the net with that split skate save with the right pad, shutting him down as he tried uh, that that big move on the breakaway. That's got to go down for me as one of the uh, – the best goaltending moments. And I'm sure you have maybe a few more for us, but that one was iconic. I, I that was amazing. It's hard to argue with that Richter save. I mean, um, what more difficult opponent could you have had face Mike Richter than Pavel Bury, whom he was able to stop in the uh, 94 all-star game that January in Madison square garden with the exact same move that Bury put on him that he did in the finals. So maybe Richter remembered that. Uh, I remember watching him take uh, a few steps out of the crease as soon as Bury touched that puck. And I was like, Oh my God, he went out way too far. But Richter was very agile. He was extremely quick, strong legs, was able to track back with Bury gave him no room. And like you said, the splits were, I mean, that's where Richter gets, you know, not necessarily a hall of fame goaltender, but he's got a place in the hearts of every Rangers fan for delivering a Stanley cup. And that's something you can't put a price tag on. And without that save, who knows what happens? So Richter's clutch save, definitely an awesome moment in NHL goaltending clutch playoff history. Um, the final one that I have is again, from the year before. And again, I'm touching back on the 93 playoffs. That whole 92-93 NHL season was amazing. Like I, I don't I don't think you can High find scoring a scoring season. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's hard to find a better season with great drama and storylines. Uh, but it, it this is not one particular save, but it's the result of several saves and swagger. Um, it's hard to find goalies that have swagger today. And our crack guru social media director Marty Perko was able to capture a moment today where Simeon Varlamov. Um, during the national anthem, looks to his left and he winks at the camera. Uh, I, I, I was when I saw that and I saw that posting, I said, "Oh my goodness, that ties right into this great moment that I have from 1993." And it is the Patrick Waugh wink uh, towards Thomas Sandstrom, ex-Ranger himself, uh, after Sandstrom had been denied repeatedly by Patrick Waugh in Game Four of the Stanley Cup Finals with the Montreal Canadiens versus the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, Wah was unbelievable that entire playoff, save for the first two games against the Nordiques in the first round, um, where they kind of questioned whether or not he was, you know, they, were, they questioned whether or not they can get to him, and they thought they did. But that was the ammunition Patrick Wah needed, and he had a lot of swagger in net. He had a lot of confidence. And after a series of saves against Sandstrom, Sandstrom skates by the crease, and the cameras just capture Wah, just giving him a, a little glance, a little smirk. And a, a wink suggesting that you are never going to score against me. Um, that game goes into overtime. And the Canadians, of course, win. Uh, I believe the story goes, the legend goes, that Wives stood up in the room and said, I'm not going to get up another goal for you guys. 
and he didn't. And the Canadians win in overtime. That that spring, they won 10 overtime games. and I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, 10 overtime games? The amount of anxiety, stress, pressure that that puts on a team, a goaltender, seems like Patrick Waugh ate it up. And that was uh, the last hurrah for him, really, in Montreal. But boy, did that 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 showcased money goaltending. And when I saw that Varlamov wink, it reminded me of that. And I know Varlamov winked at a camera while winked at an actual player. And uh, that was a pretty gutsy move. And, you know, he came up out on the right side of that one. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, let me tell you what comes to mind immediately talking about that. The wink itself, you got to love it. I mean, the, again, you talked about the game within the game. Fantastic. But I'll tell you, the this is the unpopular side to this. So Tomas Sandstrom is easily one of the best, most underrated players in NHL 94 on the Sega Genesis. This guy... <laughs> You came down from either side and held down the C button, and this guy was firing clappers at 115 miles an hour right inside the pipe. So you put Patrick Waugh against one of those rifles in NHL 94, and you're going to get a different outcome. I tell you that, sir. I've tried it before. You might be winking at the camera in real life, but you put on the Sega Genesis, and Tomas Sandstrom is going away with two hands on his stick, bench press style stick celebration just like they did it back in the sega days and just like they did it back in the sega days that's all the time we have today folks for the captain of the keeper uh reminding you to please follow us on instagram and facebook our podcast is always available on google podcast apple podcast podbean and now spotify and this is also a reminder to use the hashtag Captain and the Keeper on Instagram. If you have any topics that you want us to cover or any questions that you want on a future Q&A segment, hopefully you guys have been enjoying the fun pictures, edits, um, interesting video clips that we've got up there. And if you have any vintage hockey gear lying around or goalie memorabilia, forwards memorabilia, whatever you have, take a picture of it and send us a private message. We'll get that up there on our page like we've done so far to highlight some cool stuff that we have floating around our basements, our homes, wherever we might be. And on our new Facebook page, make sure you like and follow all the stuff for the captain and the keeper. That's it. Bye-bye now. Uh, bye-bye now.